0: Anybody who's familiar with how Amazon works and their their search algorithm, you don't just rank on the number one spot overnight. You typically rank on like page two or three or four, right? If you're not on page one, it doesn't matter what page you're on, page two or page 50. No one's going to find you. So you really need to kind of get established. You need to throw some advertising money at your new products that are launched. Over time, they'll progressively rank organically better and better. And the ideal spot you want to be in is the organic rank one spot. The more products you have there, the more money you're going to make.
1: These days, it seems like everybody has an online store. But how much can you really make selling products on Amazon? For Ryan Ho, the answer is around $30,000 a month. And if you want to hear his advice for how to start a seven-figure Amazon FBA business, you'll want to listen to this interview. Regular listeners might recognize Ryan's name from our previous interview, where we talked about starting a print-on-demand business. Today, we'll dig into how to start an FBA business from scratch, from how to choose a profitable niche to his proven strategies for attracting customers. Let's get started. Ryan, thanks for coming back.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the invite to uh, return and talk about another kind of aspect of my complimentary e-commerce businesses.
1: Yeah. So let's let's dive in. Let's start out just with your, what is your history with Amazon FBA? How'd you get started? When and uh, why did you dive into Fulfilled by Amazon?
0: Sure. Yeah. I feel like it was really popular 2015, 2016. I think that was maybe a year or two after some people that dove in early were making really kind of almost easy money. Now, this is just my take from the outside looking in because at the time, you know, I was just collecting information about FBA and uh, didn't know firsthand like what it really entailed. But, you know, there was definitely an advantage to jumping in, you know, the earlier the better. And I would listen to podcasts and whatnot. And people were making money hand over fist, almost just due to the reduced competition. You know, obviously the more sellers there are on Amazon, the harder it's going to be because there's only so many products at the top of page one. But um, ultimately, I, you know, I did a lot of research. I tried to do it myself and I struggled to figure it out because it really, there's, there's maybe today in 2022, it's a little bit easier, but um, back then, like, I don't know. I don't know if it was just me, maybe it was just me, but I ended up having to, um, pay somebody to, to coach me, you know, and, and once a week minimum, we got together at night and we did it, we did it over the internet, but you know, we just sat down and we went through the kind of the progression. And ultimately that got me where I wanted to be. After
1: a couple months, I had my first product launched. So I realized that the, the introduction and in that first question sort of presumes that our audience knows what Amazon FBA business is, but can you fill us in on what exactly that is and how it might differ from other types of e-commerce? Got you. Well, (laughs) that's a great point. And in case you um, weren't familiar with Amazon FBA,
0: well, Amazon is the largest e-commerce website in the world. And so I always say, follow the customers. I know it's really insightful, right? If you want to sell things, it's best to be where the customers are. So I followed them to Amazon and I said, I need to sell on Amazon. Step two, how do I do that? Uh, So I realized that, and you know, it's funny, I wasn't even paying for Amazon Prime, even though many, many people uh, around the world now do pay for Amazon Prime. When you sell Amazon FBA products. The FBA stands for fulfilled by Amazon. And what that allows us to do uh, is outsource the storage and fulfillment of products, as well as returns uh, to Amazon, right? They've got the trained employees, they've got the warehouses, they've got the infrastructure. I've even toured an FBA facility myself. I've seen it firsthand how it works. So I decided to outsource that to them. And what's cool is when you sell products that are fulfilled by Amazon, you get the little prime eligible check mark next to your listings, which vastly increases, um, your, you know, click through rates and essentially like how much your products are going to be purchased, you know, because the, of the number of people that it pay for Amazon prime.
1: Now, when we talked to you about print on demand, that was a business that you made very clear. That is something that you could start out with zero dollar investment kind of start making money. Is this the kind of same situation or is there some upfront cost to getting this business off the ground? So unlike print on demand, where you can get started selling products
0: with no monetary investment, FBA, the nature of this business is that you need to have some money that you can deploy because you need to purchase your products ahead of time. And essentially the way that I've always done it, I'm not saying you have to do it this way, but I've you know, looked overseas, so I'll almost always end up working with companies in China. You know, they have great manufacturing infrastructure there. And I've actually been to China as well and like met up with companies and my freight forwarder. You know, I've, I've been doing this for years, so I had that benefit. And, you know, wh- over there, they can manufacture in bulk for us. So I'll find somebody that can manufacture what I need or I can pay somebody to manufacture, you know, if it doesn't exist already to basically create a mold and, you know, typically produce it. That's going to cost money, obviously. And in the case of my very first product, you know, I tried to keep things simple per the uh, recommendation of the the person I paid to coach me. They said keep it simple. You know, make sure it's not going to break. Price point within a certain range. Uh, you know, just general. They're not requirements, but they're probably best practices. Um, generally speaking, you know, what you want to keep it simple when you're getting started. I spent two thousand four hundred dollars on my first product. Uh, that sixteen hundred dollars covered manufacturing and eight hundred dollars covered uh, shipping by air. Okay, and I, I was willing to pay extra to get it shipped by air because that meant it was going to arrive quicker, and I would start getting those sales rolling in faster
1: can you talk us through some of those those first setup steps how do you get how do you get going from scratch I'll
0: try to condense it all right because uh, the way that I teach people you know I took a cue from the person I paid that taught me and I you know I realized you know you can also make money teaching people this if there's you know demand for it and I know this is one of those areas where a lot of people do need the um, oversight from someone who's done it before but so what so the description I'm gonna give now is not what you would <laughs> necessarily get from me if we had you know five hours to sit down and actually talk about the exact steps, but you to start, uh, you're gonna sell through Amazon Seller Central. So this is uh, you can find it through Google or you can just type sellercentral.amazon.com in your browser. This is the portal, it's almost like the back end portal for Amazon sellers. You know, we know if we go to Amazon.com, that's the front end for buyers. When we go to seller central, uh, it is exclusively for people that want to sell on Amazon. And you're gonna need to create an um uh, well a seller account and over the years it's gotten a little bit more complicated for instance now I think a lot of people have to do like video interviews and kind of prove their identity with another human so over the years it's gotten a little bit stricter and stricter but it's not something that should deter anybody uh, unless you're planning on like stealing somebody's identity and trying to open an account there but uh, so you should be able to open your account from there you should go to the inventory tab and add your product and you know it's it's uh, it's not a very intuitive workflow, as you might imagine it would be, uh, given the number of products in the Amazon catalog. You know, and I'm, I'm not trying to deter people again. I love when there's a barrier of entry as opposed to, you know, no barrier to entry with businesses. Like I'm willing to, to put in the work to face the learning curves. If there's monetary investments, like I'm fortunate enough to, like, I, I didn't quit my job prior to starting my Amazon business. I wasn't, you know, that gung ho about it. I said, you know, I'm going to keep my job and do this in parallel. And then hopefully one day it'll set me free, which fortunately, you know, it did. Uh, a couple of years later. But before you add a product, you're obviously going to need a product to sell. And uh, that's where you get into the whole like product research and validation. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole that I would recommend spending some time on, you know, because when you're deploying money as an investment, in this case, in physical products, physical inventory, you know, you, you want to make at a minimum, you want to make that money back. And ideally, you want to make a profit. And the more research you do, there are, you know, Things that we can quantify that allow us to make informed decisions as opposed to just guessing and saying, I want to sell this, you know, because there are always people that say, Yeah, I want to sell this. And I'm like, "Um, It's best not to have that in your mind before you start, you know, be open minded, you know, because you can do some research and you might find something that has a much higher likelihood of success. Or, you know, you can go to Amazon and, and they make some data available to us that allows us to estimate like how much revenue a certain product or niche is doing a month. And if you want to make, you know, $50,000 a month selling a product, but you're selling a product where we can look right now and we see it's only selling 20,000 a month, you know, that's not realistic, right? <laughs> Unless you're going to send all that extra traffic to Amazon, which is so much harder than just finding a niche that's doing a million dollars a month and carving out, you know, 5% of that.
1: Can you give us some of those other steps that maybe that you have taken to to verify a specific product within a niche because obviously, you know, like you said there's a there's a massive rabbit hole to go down in maybe choosing what niche you're going to be in. But how do you go in there and and verify that that demand is going to be there for the product?
0: Yeah, so Amazon uh, makes a data point available to us that as a buyer, you would probably just scroll right past and not care about and may never have even, you may have seen it, but it may have never registered in your head that you saw it called bestseller rank or BSR for short. This allows us to see how well a product in their catalog is ranked relative to other products in that category. So every product in Amazon's catalog is categorized and every category has its own uh, number one bestseller. So with BSR, the lower the number, the better. Um, The lowest you'll see is a a number one bestseller, as you would guess. Uh, And based on the BSR, really the numeric range, as a function of the category something's listed in, you can guesstimate how well that product is selling, how many sales it makes a day, a week, a month. Now, doing this in your own head is a crazy task that I don't think anybody's up for. Um, Fortunately, there are tools out there that assist us, you know, that have (laughs) really, really, really smart people working day and night to perfect the algorithms that do these projections. My favorite, my go-to since the beginning is Jungle Scout, Okay. And you can find out more about them at Uh, junglescout.com. These are pay to use, but um, fortunately I think you can just do a monthly plan. You know, And typically if you can knock out your research in one month, you save yourself some money by just paying whatever it it costs for a month. Uh, Money well worth the investment. If you ask me, no one's paying me to say that it's just because, you know, again, we're making a monetary investment here. Most people are going to, I mean, I think everybody's safe to say their first product launch is going to cost over a thousand dollars. The cheapest I've ever seen somebody do it. I had somebody come through my course uh, two years ago and they had, you know a constraint when it came to finances, and I think they got their first product launched for fourteen hundred that included shipping. But that really impairs your research process because it means you, you know the average product you find you're not going to be able to sell because you just know by, from looking at it that the costs are going to be too high, right? So you just makes your research process take longer. But yeah, so I'd recommend Jungle Scout. Um, other options though, there's a, a great option called Helium ten as well. Those are the big two titans in the um, re- Amazon niche
1: research industry. I would say. Talk to us about scalability of an FBA business. What makes it scalable and, and are the things that business owners should be doing from the beginning that will, will help them grow more quickly? Yeah, the beautiful thing about FBA specifically,
0: the fulfilled by Amazon aspect, is we do not need to like house the inventory you know, somewhere in our house. Uh, I've gone down that rabbit hole before. I know many entrepreneurs have as well. Uh, my girlfriend's currently actually going through that. Uh, if you look in the basement, there's a bunch of inventory for her dog brand, but she's also doing FBA. She's just still in the infancy stage where you know she's kind of testing the waters, trying to make sure that she feels like it's validated before investing money. But when it comes to scalability, this is, I mean, this is the beauty of it, right? We also are outsourcing production in, an, in a normal scenario. It's not a requirement. I always want to come back to that. And I don't want to you know, make you think that it's required to hire a factory in China, you know, but generally speaking, you're going to get the most competitive rates by outsourcing overseas, whether it's China, whether it's India or somewhere else, you know, there's lots of um, countries that have, you know, great manufacturing and the United States is great for manufacturing. It's just, it's hard to be cost competitive manufacturing in the United States from my experience, but I wouldn't want to deter anybody from trying to find, you know, USA manufacturing as well. But, you know, we outsource manufacturing to these people who specialize in it, right? They've got the factory, they've got the infrastructure, they've got the employees. Then we import. Uh, and, you know, I have a freight forwarder that I, I really love the guy, man. I've met him in person. He's got a great family. So we're, you know, we're at this point, we're just friends. And he always has my back. Um, and he helps me import into the USA I've sold lots of different products on FBA. So I've run into different issues. And the nice thing is when you know your, your guy on the ground over there has your back, he helps me navigate, you know, different potential issues, right? Like one of the issues I had was a uh, ping pong balls inside of a product. And he said, Oh, well, there's gas in the ping pong balls and there's some shipping hazard. So we need to remove them. And he had his own team, like undo all of my, like open all the boxes, basically take those out and then reassemble them. So just a quick aside there, but it's nice to have people that have your back. Ship them to the United States. I have them sent straight to the FBA warehouses. So I never actually have to touch the inventory or see it. And what you can do then is Amazon will alert you when they receive it. Then I can go in and say, hey, Amazon, why don't you send me like one, two, three units, however many units I want to see. And I can check the quality, make sure everything's good if I need to. Um, Also, typically before you work with a company, you would interview multiple companies, by the way, and you would have them, send you samples so that you can see the quality of their work um from there though you know amazon's warehousing the inventory for you uh that when you when an order takes place on amazon they pick pack and ship it out to your customer unlike my previous interview where we talked about print on demand and uh, amazon merch in this case like on amazon merch they handle customer service for you uh in this case with F- fba and seller central we handle customer service but we don't have to have returns shipped to us they'll still ship them back to the um, fba warehouses so Uh, It's pretty hands off. And anytime that you're (laughs) hands off with physical products, that's always a good thing because you can focus on scaling the business, whether that means, you know, taking it to the next level with marketing or launching new products, right? Expanding your brand. So there's lots of ways to scale.
1: So how long did it take you to, to scale your business to that seven figure mark that, that, you know, is such a, such an important spot to get into? And what's that kind of average monthly revenue today?
0: It took me, I think in my third year of business to reach the seven figure mark. And I was like really aggressive because I was a little bit misled doing my Amazon FBA research. A lot of the, I'm not trying to say like throw shade at the influencers in the space, but a lot of people who were selling courses and whatnot were making it seem like this is a get rich quick scheme, you know, which I, I know there's a lot of influencers in lots of spaces doing that. But one thing that I will note about FBA is that the entire process of launching new products takes quite some time because even if you are really fast at research, at a minimum, it's probably taking a month to manufacture. And if you're selling, you know, big numbers of anything, you're most likely shipping by sea, which you might as well schedule a month for shipment by sea, right? So even if I want to launch a new product and and I, I researched it and got it done in one day, that's two months basically before it even hits the warehouse. Then Amazon has to intake the inventory. And, you know, so I just wanted to be transparent that like, it's definitely not a get rich quick type business. And, you know, I, I like to use the example of if I just wanted to hit a million dollars as quickly as possible on Amazon, you can sell something like Bluetooth headphones, right? Like we know the Bluetooth headphone market selling tens of millions of dollars, uh, potentially even a month, you know, it's just, it's just one of those categories. That's crazy. Like you're unlocking massive potential as a function of the demand in that space. But you're going to be matched by cutthroat competition. So I'd never jumped into any super highly competitive spaces like that, where I could potentially become the number one bestseller, And because the, the, then you inherit these problems like, oh, well, how do I bankroll <laughs> the next order? Because you also, if it takes two months to get from your order to the FBA warehouse, you, that's two months of like your money is tied up, right? You still have to send the money before they'll per- begin production. A lot of times you can send 30% up front and then 70% when it's done, but either way, you know, you gotta be able to bankroll that stuff. And on the sales you make on Amazon through FBA, they also withhold funds, um, for, I, you know, I don't know if it's variable and if there's options, but I'm pretty sure it's like two weeks to a month. You know, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not like one of these hawkish people. that's always watching my bank account to see the deposits. Uh, cause I have a lot going on, but like, It's something like two weeks to four weeks. So you're not getting paid out immediately either. So it's just one of these things where the more sales you're making, the more revenue, the more money out to maintain. And then obviously anybody who's familiar with how Amazon works and their their search algorithm, you don't just rank on the number one spot overnight. You typically rank on like page two or three or four, right? If you're not on page one, it doesn't matter what page you're on, page two or page 50, no one's gonna find you. So you really need to kind of get established. You need to throw some advertising money at your new products that are launched. Over time, they'll progressively rank organically better and better And the ideal spot you wanna be in is the organic rank one spot. The more products you have there, the more money you're gonna make. So for me personally, getting to seven figures, I probably had at least 10 SKUs live like in my Seller Central account. The most I've ever had at one time was I think 14. Some of them were easy because they were just me working with the same supplier and going from you know one product in a brand to five products in a brand. Or 10 products in a brand.
1: A quick note for our listeners, uh, make sure you check out the Upflip blog, Upflip.com slash blog, where we've got lots of great information and interviews with entrepreneurs, including a, a complete guide and starting your own FBA business. Again, that's Upflip.com slash blog. Ryan, uh, you you've made mention of some of the, the many challenges that someone can face when they're starting an Amazon FBA business. What can a new business owner be doing to prepare for or overcome? those challenges.
0: I like to attack things that like I like I spend my time doing things that I'm passionate about just in general in life day to day. So if it's starting an FBA business, I'm not just doing FBA, you know, Wednesday nights. Like Wednesday night was the night that me and my coach would meet every single week. So it wasn't just a Wednesday night thing for me. It was 7 days a week for me. Like I if I wasn't meeting with my coach, it was still in the back of my mind. It was still like, you know, if I had homework, I'm doing the homework. I'm constantly listening to podcasts. I'm watching YouTube, I'm soaking up other people's experience and using it almost as if it's like firsthand knowledge myself. So to me personally, this is just me speaking, I love just hearing other people's stories, other people's tips. There's so much information out there. Fortunately, you know, with the information age, right, it's very easy to have a podcast like this one or, you know, launch a YouTube channel. It's a little bit harder to have a YouTube channel that people actually care to watch, by the way, shameless plug, I am on YouTube. Um, I started my channel, Ryan Hogue Passive Income, thinking it would be an FBA channel, but the algorithm ended up telling me, hey, if you talk about print on demand, you know, that other business you're doing in parallel, you're gonna get more uh, viewers. So that's what I kind of pivoted to, but I do love FBA still. And I just, I would highly recommend, you know, find people out there doing it, just listen to their stories, listen to their tips, lots of free free information out there. And then the Upflip blog, like you plugged to, a great, a great destination as
1: well. Can you talk us through some of the, I guess, like main expenses and maybe ongoing expenses of an Amazon FBA business and what kind of quick tips you can give on cash flow management? Because yeah, obviously, as you're waiting for the materials to get there, your cash is tied up. So how do you handle that portion of the business? So yeah, it's a great question. And uh, as I mentioned
0: earlier, like it definitely helped that I didn't race out of my day job uh, I worked as a web developer and actually had a second job teaching web development. So kind of complimentary there, kept the kept the money coming in. So I wasn't you know hurting for cash and you know I, I never sent more money than I could afford to lose overseas, at least to a new manufacturer. You know what I mean? Um, so that's just something that I know it might be easier said than done, but it yeah just. Generally speaking, when it comes to finances, I would always say like you know secure your your safety and your family safety first. Don't be gambling with too much money. But just me speaking, there one thing you can do. Amazon has a lending program. Now I've never used it, but one of the most successful FBA sellers I know personally, like a relationship I built through having my YouTube channel, and I actually just interviewed him a couple um, weeks ago. His name is Matt. Uh, he said that he's used the Amazon lending program before as well, because he's doing seven figures, you know, this year in 2022, like he's, he's just absolutely crushing his orders. And, you know, he's, he's just been aggressive. He's launching new products. He has his process in place. Like he's got, you know, a photographer that he uses to come up with incredible photos. You know, he knows how to write the content for both the algorithm and for humans. And uh, he's doing really well. So he's being aggressive. He's expanding And he's used the Amazon lending program. That's one way you can access capital if you're, you know, maybe a little tight. Also, he gave me a really good tip that I wish I had employed more myself. And that is like a business credit card. You know, there's plenty of them out there, but find one that at least gives you some cash back on your spending. I forget which one he uses specifically, but he said that he was using the business credit card to place orders through Alibaba.com. If you guys are familiar with that website, it helps the buyer or the entrepreneur, whatever, find the manufacturers. When you use Alibaba, you don't have to send money through their money transfer program. And I often didn't. I often would just get the wire transfer info and then walk across the street to my bank and send them the money via a wire. But like Matt told me, he was oftentimes using the Alibaba uh, transfer, which I had done a couple of times. Just, it just wasn't my first go to. And he said that you could use your credit card there, so he was just getting crazy cash back on his credit card transactions, paying for all these things. So I thought that was a pretty sharp tip uh, that I'd, I'd be happy to pass along. Can
1: you talk us through the the types of products you're you're currently selling in your Amazon store, and are there particular products that are that are consistently popular uh, for you? Um, obviously, you, like you mentioned, Bluetooth headphones um, consistently popular on Amazon. But what's what's really working for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, FBA sellers are often like very secretive of their niches. I think it's mainly just to prevent additional competition. And then also, you know, being a kind of semi-public figure with YouTube, like, you know, if 99 people like me and one hates me, the one person who hates me can often get me in trouble if they know what they're doing. So I don't typically tell the exact products I'm selling, but I'll tell you stories of products I don't sell anymore. For instance, I used to sell plastic cups, various types of them too. And it's, you're like, Ryan, how did you arrive at plastic cups, like themed plastic cups? Like if you were having a Hawaiian luau, I used to sell uh, coconut and pineapple cups, Super random, completely outside of anything that I would ever see in my day to day base, day to day life. But here's the thing: when I was talking earlier about niche research, Jungle Scout, the research tool, uh, it's kind of a Chrome extension. But they also have like built in web apps in their website. They can assist you in finding these profitable product opportunities. You can even input criteria and they'll kind of filter out products that aren't going to fit your criteria and help point you in the right direction. So through that, I mean, honestly, I could arrive at some weird products, you know, and I mean, I, I don't know which one I found first, the coconut cup or the pineapple cup, but like one led to the other where I'm kind of like, Hey, this works really well. These are kind of cheap flimsy, but like, and by the way, I mean, when I say cheap flimsy, I'm not trying to knock my own products. I'm saying I interviewed the um, suppliers on Alibaba I had them send me samples. One cup specifically stood out and compared to my competition on Amazon, which by the way, I would recommend order your competition's products, see what's good, what's bad. I mean, if you're lazy, you can just read the reviews, but um, there may not be like good reviews in there that like actually give you an accurate description. So I found a supplier that sold even as dumb as it sounds like coconut cups, like these coconut themed plastic cups but they were better. Like mine were just straight up better. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. They had a little bit extra here, a little bit extra there. They came with straws and that was enough. You know, I I almost immediately became the number one ranked spot. And you're thinking, yeah, but how much money are you really making on coconut cups? Well, a couple thousand dollars in profit a month. Like that's nothing to laugh at. It's not getting me rich, you know, but that's just one skew. So then I launched a complimentary skew. I launched the pineapple cups. One product I sold that failed was uh, launching cappuccino mugs, I think was the primary keywords I used on them. Cause you can say like coffee cup, certain keywords that you kind of hone in on, on Amazon can, can really work to your benefit or work against you. I think the phrase I used that I thought was like the most valuable was like cappuccino mugs or like glass cappuccino mugs in summary though. My coach told me initially, he's like, you probably don't want to be selling glass products that are going to have to be shipped from China to here. And then from here to, to there, you know what I mean? That, that are getting messed up in the Amazon warehouse. Like I said, I've walked through those warehouses. I, those boxes get dropped. They do. <laughs> so yeah, the plastic, uh, the, uh, the glass cups, man, I was, they were selling like crazy right away, but that did not last because they had way too many get damaged in the mail and uh, had to cut those loose. So yeah, you just want to be mindful. I've sold in like super random categories, like janitorial. I had that brand tied to my website, more like party supply type stuff. And uh, some fun stuff too. I mean, like some of my friends and family still have some of those old products because it was just cool that they were all themed after my my website. But yeah, I mean, it was more or less like from a profitability perspective, it didn't really check out. So I had to cut every single
1: SKU except one loose. And one of them I still maintain to this day. When you do have... A new product, how do you size that initial order? And then how do you kind of make the decision to cut the skew loose? Can you talk about that kind of that kind of process when you have a product that is quote unquote failing or becoming not worth the investment anymore? For
0: sure, man. Those are great questions too. To answer the first one, when you're sizing that first order, you'll never know for sure. But like I said, if you're willing to pay for like the Jungle Scout or Helium 10 tools, they can give you really accurate projections of how many units are being moved per day, per week, per month. And you can make informed decisions based on that. Now, you don't typically want to look at the bestseller because you're most likely not going to be the number one bestseller right away. So you'd probably want to look like halfway down page one, you know, or at the bottom of page one. Look at those guys and use their numbers, their projections. This is your money at play. So it really does benefit you to try to take all these things into account. Because if you don't, you know, you pay Amazon storage fees for the units that sit there. So just keep that in mind. I I typically am aiming to have like two and a half months to three months of inventory at all times. And depending on like what your product we're talking about, you know, you may see a spike in demand at various times of year. Seasonality does come into play. There was a product I sold that was like in super high demand in uh, spring, summer. And I remember one day, like, I didn't know why, but I sold $15,000 of just that product in one day. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm going to be rich. But the biggest problem I had was I wasn't selling 15K a day on average. Before that, I was selling probably a fraction. What ended up happening was everybody ahead of me sold out (laughs) because the demand was so high. And then, you know, I was next up. Guess what happened to me? I sold out before I knew it, you know? So it's one of these things where there's some variability to it. And then, you know, what do you do? You have to go to your manufacturer. Ah, I need more, you know? But like, if you ship by air, that's also cutting into your margins. So to answer part two of your question, I'm like extremely meticulous about tracking my exact margins. I have this spreadsheet, I call it the workbook. It's in my like FBA course. And I just like, to me, like that's that's worth the cost of admission to my course alone because it's just one of these like really long spreadsheets. People that hate Excel are gonna hate me for it. But like when you use it, you plug in all of your exact numbers and you know exactly how much money you're making on each SKU. You know, I try to be a little bit heartless and just say like, that's gonna inform my decision-making process, you know? Because otherwise I'll get tied to products that may be, you're not worth the time, the effort, not worth tying up money in, you know, because I mean, keep in mind, even if it's making you 5% profit with upside, maybe to 10% profit, once you're ranked in the organic one spot, it's like, well, how much money is that costing me a month? You know, or just, you know, the, the, the capital's tied up there. What if I were to launch a different product? You know what I mean? It's always opportunity cost. So it's, it, for me, it's, it's spreadsheet. I call it the workbook
1: and I'm constantly in there looking at my, uh, my margins. And then are there restrictions I want an FBA store can sell or or can you kind of list whatever products you want and or do you need to get specific permission or approval before you start selling certain things?
0: There are restrictions like I'm trying to think of a product I know for a fact that you cannot sell. Actually, (laughs) you can probably find anything and everything on Amazon. The only time I've ever seen things that you cannot sell were like Amazon censoring certain words. You know what I mean? The word Putin overnight Earlier this year, all of a sudden, everything that said Putin was just removed. So it's not a product type, I guess, but that did actually happen. You know, all overnight, everything that said Putin gone didn't matter. They just did an algorithmic sweep, and that was it. Um, so that that's always subject to happen. Um, we saw some of that too with, I think, like Trump-related stuff over a period of time. But when it comes to like products, I mean, you can find almost anything on Amazon. Uh, I think different categories are treated differently. And also different, you know, within categories, there's subcategories. So I've had multiple products that I've launched where I had to provide an SDS, a safety data sheet with specific information about what I was selling, you know, just so that they can verify that like, is it safe to be shipped? You know,
1: if you want to sell stuff with batteries, for instance, you need specific labels on the boxes, stuff like that. So, I mean, what are the key ingredients of an excellent product listing?
0: Yeah. First and foremost, for me, like, I think that primary thumbnail needs to be really good, you know, and good is subjective. I get that. But Amazon requires the primary thumbnails to be on a white background. So that means exactly what it sounds like. If you try to cheat that, um, I do believe they've got like algorithmic sweeps that will detect, hey, it's not a white background and get you in trouble. And if you get in trouble enough times, you know, you can lose your your selling privileges. So that's number one, you know, and and each category, each product is kind of different. I always say like take a cue from your competition, your most successful competition, like what are they doing well in their images? And the reason I'd say images first, like that's why what I come to first is that's typically how most people shop, you know, not everybody, but most people, they're looking at the pictures. They're not reading the title. They're not reading the bullet points. They're looking at the pictures and the best converting products often or product listings are answering all of the common questions In their pictures, whether that's through actually pointing out and adding text in the JPEG images, you know, you can add like text and you can put an arrow, you know, whether it's a coffee mug, you can say holds 15 ounces, you know, something like that. Or, you know, sometimes if it's some, I don't know, I can't think of a product right now, but like you can actually show the different attributes that people are looking for in the pictures themselves and highlight them in the picture without text or without an arrow. Um, So I would recommend just, you know, be very familiar with your, your product niches, you know? And even if it's like a niche that you know nothing about, because oftentimes it is, you know, you just found it because it looks like it's gonna be profitable, study your competition literally go in, read their reviews, look at their pictures. It's boring, but it's worth the time. Think of how long it takes you to make the money that you're about to invest in your product launch and be like, okay, I can justify spending the time there. You know, I also like to recommend just counting your exact competition because when Amazon says X number of results, when you do a keyword search, it's typically not accurate. So like they, they obfuscate that it's, it's very broad. It's not, you know, it's not going to give you an exact figure. So, I recommend like you literally go to page one, go to page two. If you need to go to page three, go to page three. Look at how many people and count them that are selling exactly what you're selling and that's prime eligible. You know, so you have an accurate idea of like what you're up against. I, I do really highly recommend that. And then from there, you know, you want to write your title. I typically say front load your title with the most relevant keywords. When you write bullet points, it's pretty popular to front load the bullet with maybe write in like all caps, or you can do like bracket, all caps, something that humans should read, and then then close the bracket. And then after that, write for the algorithms. So if you write in all caps, like best coffee mug on earth. And then after that, you start writing sentences out that are mainly including, you know, sprinkles of relevant keywords and phrases for the algorithm to help you get indexed that you don't anticipate a human will read, right? Because it might be, you know, a couple, it might look like a wall of text. You know, we've all seen that and been like, okay, on the internet, we typically don't slow down to read wall of text. But if we have like one sentence phrase in all caps, we might actually read it and be like,
1: okay, cool, got it. And is it a keyword cramming game or are there certain like keyword and SEO best practices that someone should keep in mind for their product listing?
0: My personal feelings on this are that uh, the value of keywords gets overblown Like, I think a lot of people that are inexperienced Amazon sellers think, and I was subject to this myself from listening to podcasts and whatnot, you know, people would really harp on the value of keywords. And it's not that keywords aren't important, but all keywords are really doing like, again, we have the keywords that are for humans, right? But we mainly have pictures for humans. So the keywords we type in are mainly for the algorithm to understand what it is we're selling and put us in front of the right potential customer prior to us having sales. Once we have sales, that's what they're going to trust. So above all else, you know, if we've converted 500 people that searched for best coffee mug, you know, they type into the Amazon search bar, best coffee mug, and they buy us. We've got 500 conversions. The algorithm says, okay, 500, that's a pretty good number. I think we can rank them on best coffee mug. But here's the thing, does, it, does that mean we're in the first spot? Maybe, maybe not. Because what if there's a competition with 1500 conversions on best coffee mug, right? So it's all relative to the niche you're in. And we, we don't actually know how many conversions we have or who the other person has, you know, our competition may have, like we, we may not, we don't know the actual discrete number of conversions, but if you actually go to Amazon and type in a keyword search, like it could be best coffee mug could be one search. And the next search could be best coffee mug for father's day. You know what I mean? We just put a slight tweak on it, but those are going to be treated like different queries. And the results may vary based on the history of sales that took place on those keywords. And generally speaking, if you don't have conversions, you know, you're going to struggle to rank organically at the top of page one, even if you put like uh, incredible, you know, keywords in your listing, but didn't have the conversions. You know, the conversions always take precedent.
1: The kind of a natural extension of the this line of questioning is what are, what are some of the don'ts for a product listing?
0: The don'ts, um, almost like just the opposite of, of what you should be doing, right? Like you want to have those quality images. You want to maximize all of the images. So if Amazon lets you have eight images, you want to have eight images. You don't want to put three up. Even if the rest of your images aren't that great, you know, you can put in what we call lifestyle images. Like I was looking at a product the other day. It was like a brush for combing your dog that like takes the hair out, you know, the extra hair. And a lot of the images on that listing were lifestyle. But just by including the lifestyle images that aren't even that relevant, it looks like a quality listing. It's like a subliminal checkmark in the customer's mind Because you know what really stands out when you're used to seeing products that have eight images? It stands out when you have two images or three. (laughs) You're like, oh, what is this low quality? You know, you start thinking like, oh, this might not be a quality product. It might just be a subliminal thing, right? But it's because you get so conditioned to seeing sellers go above and beyond to make these quality product listings. I would say don't keyword stuff. Like don't just do keyword, comma, keyword, comma, keyword. Like I would write cohesive sentences. Don't try to game the system with like the white thumbnail background. Because I've seen people do that and it doesn't work out in the long run. Don't ever upload products with duplicate titles. I don't know why Amazon takes it so seriously, but like they will literally ban you from selling. And, uh, if you have a duplicate title in their system, so they take that very seriously. For instance, also they let you do brand registry, which enables enhanced brand content. So it's, it's why sometimes you're looking at a product listing and you see like in the middle of the page, a bunch of really cool looking pictures instead of just like a paragraph of text. So little distinctions like that, like Amazon kind of guides you in the right direction that'll help you, you know, increase your conversion rate, which will increase your organic rank, which will increase your clicks, which will increase your orders. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like this flywheel effect, the life cycle of an Amazon product. So yeah, you just want to kind of follow Amazon's guidance. And uh, as far as what not to do, you know, I would just say use common sense to like, look at your listings against your competition. If it's not up to par, then you got some work to do.
1: This is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. Uh, these questions come from our YouTube community. So go find UpFlip on YouTube. Join the community and you can post questions to future podcast guests. So for these, we're looking for you know that, that quick 10-second answer, some of which that may be a challenge as I look at what these questions are. But here we go. So Alfonso Sandoval is asking, uh, if I was to purchase an existing small Amazon FBA business, From your experience, what should I look for or be careful about before acquiring? The
0: number one thing that I would look for is the exact profit margins. The margins are getting squeezed more and more. You know, even just this year, like Amazon's increased the fees on the sellers, I think twice. When I say the fees, I mean, it could be FBA fees. It could be the referral fee. So even if you're not selling FBA, Amazon takes a fee of every sale that takes place on their platform just as their, hey, we're Amazon and we let you be here. You know, fee. When it comes to ads too, just don't forget people are running ads. So don't forget to factor in um, the ad spend as well. Let the bottom line um, dictate your decision-making, you know, value that highly.
1: Nightkids0 would like to know what the return rate is and what happens to the return products.
0: Each product has a different return rate. I'm guilty of like not even knowing off the top of my head, like the SKUs that I've got right now, are all very low return rates because I haven't really like been pushing my FBA business recently too much. So I've got a lot of mainly just my best sellers in stock that are established that have hundreds of reviews that are ranked, if not organic rank one, they're up there on page one. So I'm not dealing with a high return rate. But that being said, you're always going to have some returns, whether it's a defective product, you know, even from the manufacturing line, some things go wrong. Or if it's just, hey, someone changed their mind and you know, Amazon customers are entitled. They know, hey, it's Amazon. I can return anything. So they'll send it back to the FBA warehouse and If it's like defective, there is like this section in Seller Central where you can tell Amazon either you can have it automate disposal orders. So they'll dispose of these uh, products that are defective, like that can't be resold or you can automate that they'll ship them to you and they call that a removal order. So you can do that. Or I think if it's, you know, able to be resold, uh, it may just show up as sold by like Amazon warehouse deals or something like that. I'm not 100% sure exactly how that works, but I do think they can like turn around and sell at a discount. Uh, returns based on the quality that the Amazon associate who
1: intakes it uh, marks. One last question here. Hungry Club is asking, how do you rank on that first page when someone searches for a product?
0: Yeah, kind of like what I was mentioning. Each query, like each specific set of keywords you type into Amazon search bar is treated differently. So like best coffee mug is going to have its own set of results and best blue coffee mug is going to have its own set of results. Their algorithm's intelligent enough to figure out that there's a lot of commonality there, but there may be one listing that, you know, on Blue Coffee Mug that has generated way more conversions that are rank organic rank one on Blue Coffee Mug. And then, you know, on Best Coffee Mug, that same product may be at the bottom of page one. It's really going to boil down to, you know, especially on like high volume search terms like best coffee mug, as just one example, you know, the more data they have, you can rest assured that like what you're going to see at the top of page one is almost always going to be the highest performing. It's not just about number of conversions though. You know, this is me drawing from my web developer experience, but like, you know, they can track like how many impressions a listing got And if you can track how many impressions it got, you can also track how many clicks it got. Well, you can track click-through rate. From there, you can track conversion rate. You can track, hey, they added to cart. How much time did they spend on the page? Like, are they confused? You can track all these things in a web browser and you can rest assured that Amazon's doing that. So they're using as much data as they can possibly use to figure out who ranks where. But I do recommend like when you run ads on Amazon, you can say, I want to advertise on this phrase. You can pay Amazon to know that you're going to show up when someone searches for that phrase. And, you know, Part of making a sale, the first step is got to get in front of somebody. When you ad- advertise, you know you can get in front of them, and you can measure impressions. You know, from there, you can measure click through rates. Obviously, you pay per click, and that's a good place to uh, get
1: started. That is going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. So go find Upflip on YouTube, join the community, and post questions to future podcast guests. Ryan, before we before we dive like back into some more Amazon FBA questions, I just want to. Ask you quickly about your print-on-demand side to your business for those that either have not listened to our interview specifically about print-on-demand or just need a refresher. Can you talk about when you added that to your business and just uh, briefly explain how print-on-demand differs from these other types of products we're talking about with Amazon FBA? Yeah,
0: print-on-demand was, um, I was kind of awestruck when I found out about it because I was already committed to doing FBA. And I don't think you should have to choose between the two. Um, they're very complimentary in my mind. So when I started doing FBA through Seller Central, Amazon Seller Central, I also found out about Amazon Merch On Demand is what it's called. And it's a separate portal, right? So I said, Seller Central is where you go if you want to sell on Amazon. Well, there's actually other ways to sell on Amazon, but they're not like the all-encompassing solution. Like Seller Central is for anything and everything, right? We couldn't even think of a product that you can't sell. You just can't say the keyword Putin, for instance, right now. But um, with Amazon Merch On Demand, uh, you can go and you can only sell like t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts and if they sell the product will then be produced after the sale takes place that's why it's called on demand and what we do as sellers is we essentially just create the designs we say okay make this design available on you know a t-shirt and then we provide the you know search engine optimization you know the the title the brand the bullet points and if we choose to we can set up ads. And I I just mentioned it in the context of Amazon Merch on Demand, but you can also sell print on demand through Amazon Seller Central. So those are kind of three income streams right there. You sell Amazon Merch on Demand, then you can, what I would do is I would take a t-shirt design that I listed on Amazon Merch on Demand, but they only have so many products available, right? And I'm restricted to what they offer. So if it's just a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and a hoodie, which by the way, they have more than that, but I'm just saying theoretically, but they don't have a coffee mug, What I realized is I can then sell my t-shirt design on a coffee mug on Amazon Seller Central. And it's a little bit more nuanced than that, of course, but (laughs) kind of a separate topic. But uh, that's essentially what I was doing. So I call it almost like a double down, you know, because I'm making my money selling this design on a shirt. Then I make money selling it on a coffee mug through Seller Central, where the coffee mugs, you know, I can sell a coffee mug as opposed to, you know, I couldn't do it before. And when I sell it through Seller Central, though, it's not FBA, it's FBM, it's fulfilled by merchant. So I don't have Amazon sitting on a cardboard box full of my mugs. If that sale takes place, I integrated a software application from a company who has the capacity to fulfill the orders on my behalf with my Seller Central account. So when that order takes place, they automatically see the order. They say, okay, Ryan sold a black 15 ounce coffee mug with this design. They create it, they ship it to the customer, their software marks it as shipped and uploads tracking. So pretty good deal.
1: Thank you for that. And uh, so shifting back into Amazon FBA mode, uh, can you talk about your your pricing strategy for products? Like, is there a certain profit margin you always are aiming for or are the prices more influenced by the market?
0: I mean, it's a great question. Uh, in the past, I always thought, you know, aim for 30% plus as a rule of thumb. It didn't mean you'd actually pocket 30% because most of, the, if not everybody's gonna be running ads 24 seven, the amount of money you spend on ads probably varies by where you're ranking on specific sets of keywords but I always felt comfortable with 30%. And uh, my first product I ever launched, actually, I doubled the quantity because it allowed me to take my profit margin from about 33% to 44 point, basically 45%. So I felt extra comfortable having never sold on Amazon FBA before, having that extra cushion of profit margin. You know, it may it may not be in as high demand because I doubled the quantity of the units, but again, extra profit margin. So today, you know, you may want to be more like 25% just because Amazon keeps taking more and more of the money. and If customers aren't willing to pay extra, then, you know, the money's got to come from somewhere. So it'll come from you. But yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't let it deter me too much because also, you know, it depends on how much you're selling these products for, you know, if you can sell a product for 250 bucks and, you know, make a 10% profit margin, it's still $25 a clip, but then it becomes a function of like, do you have enough money in the bank to bankroll those products? Because if you're selling it for 250, chances are the base cost that you pay your manufacturer is also quite high. It tends to scale with the
1: retail cost. When you were first getting started, how did you go about attracting those initial customers to to your first products?
0: For me, I had done the research, the validation. I knew it was a, a good space and... I honestly got really lucky because my first ever sale on Amazon FBA, it wasn't even like the order that I'd put in with my manufacturer. It was the manufacturer's samples that they sent me. (laughs) So it was just the sample order that I got. And I was like, well, I don't have any use for these. I sent them into FBA, which you can do manually from your house as like a test. That's what my girlfriend's doing with her stuff downstairs actually right now. And I got a sale on the manufacturer's like, Samples that they sent me, and I got a five star review, so it was like, "Whoa, that was incredibly fortunate and I hope amazon's algorithm doesn't say, "Wow, that was probably a fake five star review and remove it so that that actually didn't happen, but I did get the review, so very fortunate uh, and how did I get it in front of the right customers? It was really just generally speaking when the actual real order came in, and I had the inventory there to make multiple sales, mainly ads it wasn 't the most competitive space, but ads really help you hone in on the right keywords, and fortunately, I saw over time the um, suggested bid for my primary keywords. Cause when you bid on keywords, as you would imagine, like it's an auction system. So certain keywords are more valuable than others. The price is dictated by the people bidding. So my first product, man, people were bidding like $5 a click. It was absurd, but I mean, it makes a little bit of sense when I mentioned that, you know, we had really nice profit margins. Like my first product had 44%. Um, I think I was listing it at 39 99. So, you know, I could afford some clicks that didn't convert. It didn't mean that I also had to pay $5 a click, but on the high end, that's what people were paying, you know, but also those people, you set a budget, if they run out of their daily budget, well, then the next highest bidder fills the ad inventory. And if, you know, they only bid $3 a click, then, you know, the person who bid five was just overpaying. So it's a little bit of a a game, you know, behind the scenes with ads.
1: I'm curious about the, on the marketing side here, if Someone has a limited marketing budget as they're getting started. What are some of the marketing strategies that they can do that maybe move, move beyond the, the cost per click model or, or even are there certain things they should be doing in product selection that go into, I'm not going to have a ton of money to market this product.
0: Yeah. Kind of what I was just describing where, you know, I, I'm a big fan of if like, if I'm selling on Amazon. I want to run Amazon ads. It's not that you can't be successful running like off of Amazon ads, like a Facebook ad to your Amazon listing. And I actually had an Amazon agency, a really successful one, like tell me that that was really working well this year. And they actually set up a campaign for me and we did a split test and I did the results on my YouTube channel and it worked really well. So I can't say that that doesn't work. But if you're a limited budget, prioritize like, if you're selling on Amazon, prioritize Amazon ads, you know, that's going to be very effective. And also in terms of like measuring the success rate, it's it's much easier, <laughs> but you can also like when I was saying $5 a click, th- those were for the mega primary keywords associated with my niche. But that being said, those were, that was just one set of keywords. Now those were the most valuable keywords, but there's also long tail keywords where maybe we add a word or two or three, or there's just variations of the primaries that aren't generating the maximum search volume, but are still extremely valuable. And so find some of those. And you can do that by also running an Amazon auto campaign where you let Amazon essentially like you just give it a budget and a um, bid per click, but you don't have to give it keywords. You you can't give it keywords on an auto campaign. And Amazon will actually like go and find keywords for you, you know, through testing through trial and error. So it's very easy to set up an auto campaign, as you'd imagine, because you really just, you know, tell it to go and you tell it how much money you can spend. And then from there, you might find keywords that you didn't even think about that you can then move to your manual ad campaigns and you can be very restrictive or protective with both your bids and your daily budget.
1: And then do you do anything specifically to encourage customers to review your products and and how do user reviews affect your visibility and sales as an FBA seller? Yeah, reviews are huge on
0: Amazon, on Etsy, on eBay, on every website, you know, positive reviews, I should say, because obviously negative reviews can also really hurt. I remember I launched a SKU got a one-star review and I was like, damn, do I just start over? Like the first review was one star and that product never really recovered. So that's another example of when I had to just cut one loose, uh, you know, but it was like, it was also a member of the, a brand with lots of other variations. So it wasn't a big deal to launch that one and then just kind of let it sell out and not reorder. As far as what I do to encourage reviews, like Amazon's real strict with that whole area. And there's like weird rules and semantics to exactly what's allowed and what's not So what I personally do is I use this software called Feedback Wiz, and it's not the only software out there that does it, but it's just the first one I learned. So I've been doing it for years. Feedback Wiz automates communications with my buyers and it hooks in via API to my Seller Central account. So I don't need to do anything manual other than when I first set it up. I set up some email templates, you know, because I was a web developer, so I like to get in there and customize things, et cetera. You don't even have to really do that. Like they provide you templates that can pull in like dynamically your product image, your product title. Um, So it's very easy to use, very easy to work with. It's within Amazon's um, compliance. And I just use that and it automates um, through the buyer-seller messaging to people that still have that enabled. The request for honest feedback, I think is what's allowed, right? I think you're supposed to say request honest feedback, but not request like a five-star review or something.
1: What's the biggest mistake or misstep you made when you were growing the business? And in hindsight, is there anything you could have done differently to avoid it?
0: I mean, generally speaking, I haven't had any like catastrophic moments, you know? So for me, it's been pretty good, you know? And I'm a pretty like confident person. So even when I've had tougher like product launches, it's kind of like, I know the script, you know, for like my first ever launch is, was the most heart wrenching one because I didn't know, you know, so many unknowns, but once you have a couple of successful product launches, if you have one that's not successful, it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to try to get my money back and I'll just move on to the next one, you know? So that's kind of how I feel.
1: Can you talk us through some of the the systems and tools that, that you're using to, to manage the business? I mean, you, you made mention of your Excel spreadsheet and specifically stuff that goes beyond the tools that might be there in the Amazon dashboard? Yeah,
0: well, I will say like my favorite tool is, uh, it was by Jungle Scout and they ceased, I don't know what to say, They, they killed the tool off for some reason. And it used to be called Fetcher. And what was great about Fetcher was that it integrated via API so that, like I had my spreadsheet, which gave me my exact margins, but what the spreadsheet could never do was tell me as a function of ad spend, what my even more exact margins were. So Fetcher had access to that and it gave me my like, perfect, like, Hey, you know, end of year taxes are due. What did you make down to the penny? It gave me that number, you know? So I loved Fetcher. Um, there's actually like software out there, uh, that, you know, can replace it now, you know, that I've found, but, um, you know, just the uh, Fetcher always has a place in my heart. Cause I, I certainly missed it. And I used to publish income reports on my YouTube channel every month. And then when they killed Fetcher off, I like did a couple more and then I was like, ah, all right, I'm done. You know? Cause I, uh, it was just so, so hard. But yeah, there's a software called Profit Cyclops that uh, I did a review on just a couple of weeks ago that that basically replaces everything that Fetcher did. In terms of like research and validation, Jungle Scout is my go-to, but I also know Helium 10 is a great option. So I mean, if you had to coin flip between the two, just go with whichever one's cheaper. And um, Feedback Wiz uh, automates my requests for feedback. Now, I don't consider that a requirement to use, but it's certainly for me. Was has been worth it, you know, but a lot of over time, more and more buyers are disabling the buyer seller messaging. Cause I think they're just over getting the spam from the automated messaging from there. Like I had launched like a Shopify store, you know, for my brand. Ultimately I later decided, you know what, what I'm going to do. Cause I, 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 whenever possible, I would have a website for the brands. Cause obviously web developer. So it's not that hard for me to launch websites. I would put the website URL, like on the products. If I could, I would sneak it on there. And, you know, you can typically pay your manufacturers to do that. Like I would pay a fraction of a penny. I think it was like half a penny per unit to get like on my first ever product um, to get the website put there. And later on, I just decided like, you know what, I'm going to redirect that to my Amazon listing or actually no, not even the listing, but to my Amazon brand registry store page, you know, and that, that will be my website because Amazon loves when they see off-site traffic being pumped to them, you know, that, that helps you, you know, not only help you obviously generate more sales, but uh, their algorithm definitely prefers that. Um, from there, like you want to be in brand registry. So that requires getting a trademark. There is an inside of Amazon Seller Central, something called a IP Accelerator through their like partner program. If you do the IP Accelerator, you don't have to wait basically a year for your trademark to go live. You can just partner with like one of Amazon's approved partners. I'm sure Amazon gets a cut. And within two weeks, you can be in brand registry. You know, it'll still be a year before your trademark goes live, but at least you can basically cut to the front of the line. I'm trying to think of like others. Oh yeah, I use a service that automated my reimbursements because you essentially cannot, you can't automate it with software, but sometimes Amazon like messes stuff up and they owe you money, but like they just won't pay you and they make it so that you have to manually file the claims. So I found a service that will like essentially file those for me, a human will, because you're not allowed to do it automated. And they keep like, I think, I don't remember if it was like 25 or 40%, but I'm still better than nothing because I
1: wasn't doing it. And uh, I think that's basically it. What's What's a listing hijacker and how can they hurt a business? Is there anything FBA store owners can do to prevent it? Yeah. Hijackers um,
0: on Amazon. Remember how I said you're not allowed to have duplicate titles. Otherwise they'll just ban you. it seems like such a small infraction, but Amazon really doesn't want spam in their catalog because they know that can degrade the customer performance. So what they want is if you're going to sell a product on Amazon that you go and like you can do this right now, go pick something on Amazon. There should be a link on the product page that says, have one to sell question mark. So you can click that and that's how they want you to list. And there's this thing called the buy box. Like as a customer, we probably don't worry about what the buy box is, but as a seller, having the buy box means when someone goes to that listing and clicks add to cart or clicks buy now, that you get the sale. Because in theory, like me, you, and 10 other people can have the same, I don't know, like coffee cup to sell that's from the same manufacturer, the same color, same size. We're selling the exact same coffee cup. So we would all go to the same listing and create an offer. And you know, you might sell it for 19.99. I can come in as a hijacker and sell it for like 1998, you know, and undercut you by a penny. And oftentimes that means I'll get the buy box. And where this really sucks is if you're launching your own branded products, you're not in brand registry yet. You know, brand registry helps open up the door to removing hijackers and they even have, um, uh, it's like called like project zero, I think where they turned over tools. I don't think to every seller, but to some that were invited, like I got the invite where you can like self-moderate your listings, but they, they basically make you go through a quiz to, to prove that you're not going to abuse the tool. So yeah. Um, hijackers just like basically jump on, try to sell similar products to what you're selling or the exact same and undercut you, you know,
1: maybe it's listing hijacking, but what's the most frustrating thing about running an F an FBA store and any advice for, for coping with that frustration?
0: Yeah. It's probably, yeah. I mean, the most frustrating thing I've ever gone through for sure was that, um, also just Amazon, man, Amazon, if I'm being real, like they don't really, it doesn't feel like they have your, your best interests, uh, at heart for a sellers. Like they don't seem to look out, af- look after their sellers. Also support has gotten a lot worse over the years, noticeably worse, you know, harder to reach out to them. They used to have like on-demand phone support. They don't have that. It's just getting worse and worse. So it's just a trend that's not going the right direction.
1: That actually segues us nicely into this, this question, which is what's different about owning an Amazon FBA store today than when you opened in 2016 and any current trends or shifts that owners should be aware of?
0: Yeah, great question. I mean, the support thing is a big one that stands out in my mind. Like even if you're doing nothing wrong, like their catalog is so large that when they police it, like I was saying, like they do an automated sweep for the word Putin. Well, boom, you might have a bunch of skews just get removed and they don't care. They're unapologetic, they're gone. You know, that's just what it is. There was a couple of years back, there was something related to pesticides. And like, I didn't care. I don't sell anything related to pesticides. It didn't matter though. So many of my listings were flagged uh, as like having been related to pesticides when when they weren't. And then you have to go through like all these, you know, multi step processes with, you know, support giving you copy paste answers to try to get your like products that have nothing to do with it reinstated. So it's just, I'm not trying to talk people out of Amazon. Like I said earlier, I love when there's a barrier of entry and when there's difficulty because I'm willing to put in the work and I know that's going to reduce my competition. But also,
1: you know, you have to actually put in the work and and go through the, the ups and downs. If people were only to take one thing away from this interview, what do you hope that is? I'm just a huge
0: proponent of, um, you know, getting over imposter syndrome, believing in yourself, you know, projecting success in your own mind, intaking a lot of information from other people's experiences and getting after it, whatever it is you want. If you just want to be rich, like there's plenty of ways to make money in life. So I don't know if FBA is like top of my list for, you know, making money online, but it is certainly passive. It's got a big learning curve up front. But once you're like ranked, you know, and once you've launched a product, you can launch the second product in half the time. You know what I mean? It just gets easier and easier and it's not a business that I think requires a lot of upkeep. Like I said, if you're not actively launching new products, then your day-to-day becomes keeping your existing products in stock and maintaining your ads. So it can be, you know, and then the longer your product's been alive, those things become more and more optimized and require less and less time and attention. So I just would say like, don't be deterred from starting an FBA business and there's money to be made. Um, the margins are getting slimmer, so I don't know if it's going to make you rich. It's certainly making some people rich though. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. But there's a lot of complimentary ways to making money online in addition to FBA. And that's really how my journey started. And it led me to some other really cool stuff like print on demand. So I'd invite you guys to check out, um, check out, you know, Ryan Hoog passive income on YouTube. I talk about a lot of the different ways I make money online.
1: Last question here. What's your favorite business book and why?
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. I haven't read any business books. I'm terrible at reading. I love, uh, audiobooks And I mean, I can't even say audiobooks really. I just love YouTube. I have a TV above my my triple monitors, and I just run YouTube like all day. I love finance channels specifically. So I'll give a shout out to Gregory Manorino, you know, if anybody. He has like da- daily two videos, one before market, one after market. And uh, I'm also into the stock market as well. So I'll give him a shout out.
1: That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to our newsletter to get business insights delivered straight to your inbox. You can also find more resources and advice at the Upflip Business Hub. Ryan Hogue, fulfilled by Amazon and all sorts of other passive income expert. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite.